Welcome to this episode of the St. Mary's Family Medicine Podcast. This is Mark Colley. Today's topic will be on physician burnout. And to discuss this, I have a very special guest. He is a legend of St. Rita's, uh, someone that I have a tremendous amount of respect for, and he is the person that hired me. So you can blame him if you have any concerns. He is Dr. Herb Schum. Hi, Dr. Schum. Good morning. It's good to be with you today. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time out to discuss this. So I think a good way to jump into this topic is maybe to start with what your role is in the organization and how that leads to addressing burnout. Yeah. So, you know, it's been three years ago uh, since I left uh, Lima and left St. Rita's. And the Mercy gave me an opportunity then to do provider development, which they didn't know what it was. They said, you make it what it is. But in that journey, we discovered two things. One is that we really didn't have an approach or a strategy to burnout and well-being. Uh, the other was we didn't have a good handle as a system on graduate medical education, which is near and dear to the great mm-hmm. work you're doing in Lima. And both of those enhance each other. So they allowed me to really build that out. As we went through the merger, in that process, they asked me to really take this work across all of Bon Secours Mercy Health, as well as look at physician engagement mm-hmm. and how do we build that into the work that we're doing. Okay. So when we discuss burnout, um, I think this has become a very hot topic probably within the past five years. I remember hearing this in my residency, uh, but it was never something that was seemed to be directly addressed. I'm... I subscribe to a news service where I get family medicine news about twice a week, just in batches. And I think about 20% of the articles anymore are focused on burnout, uh, if not more. So why do you think this has become such a big topic uh, in the recent past? So I I think there are a couple of things. One is, uh, to be honest, your generation of physicians are much better than my generation was of working to achieve a life-work balance. Mm -hmm. In my generation, we just did it and that was it, and you never complained, you never said anything. I think we had burnout, we just never were open about it, and we were never honest about it. So I think that's one factor. Another factor is, when we look at the impact of some of the changes in medicine, it's definitely a contributor. And one of those is electronic medical record. Mm -hmm. And we all think of the electronic medical record as, gee, I have to document more than I ever did. That is truly an outcome, and that is a factor of medicine changing that we now are documenting for payment as opposed to continuity of care. Mm -hmm. But I think a couple of other things contributed to it as well. Uh, One of those is it knocked down the social interactions that we had before. So I don't have to come and get my census anymore. I don't have to go down to radiology and see Mm -hmm. the radiologist. I can call them if I want to, but that's about it. Couple that with the advent of hospitalists and laborists. You now have taken primary care out of the hospital and even within the hospital, people don't go to the unit and grab a chart and bump into each other anymore. Those social interactions are gone. And then the third that I think was not an anticipated outcome was we've taken away our ability to have boundaries. Mm-hmm. So go way back when I was in practice, I may have a long day, but I never took the charts home with me. Yep. You don't have that luxury. Mm-hmm. Your charts go on vacation with you. And that boundary has now become a problem and a very conscientious uh, physician or nurse practitioner, you're going on to check, is there anything in my in-basket? Is there anything else going on? And that's created the boundary which, that's that's eliminated that ability for the boundary management, which takes away from your ability to recharge yourself and to reestablish resiliency. Yeah. So 
how would you define physician burnout? Well, as I look at it um, in the context of job burnout, mm-hmm. so this is one job. Other, uh, you know, careers have burnout, and it's really a psychological syndrome that is a response to chronic stressors on the job. Mm-hmm. Um, the trick is it shares many symptoms with depression. So when we look at the anhedonia, the irritability, the sleep disturbances, the ineffectiveness, even to the point of suicide, they share that same constellation of symptoms. And so sometimes they're mixed in together. And um, that's why it's so critical that that folks get help with it. And one of the more disturbing things that I've seen in in the recent years, and I think it was brought about because several medical students uh, had committed suicide, but they've done more work into looking at the rates of depression and mood disorders just in medical students, and they're astoundingly high. They are. Um, it's 12 to 18 percent is a conservative number. Um, and an, another factor with this, the 12 percent is for male, 18 percent for female. Is you know, gender, there's a gender predisposition, predisposition in depression anyway. Mm-hmm. But think that we are now uh, 50-50 male, female in mm-hmm. medicine, we're going to see more people depressed there as well. Um, and the demands on women in medicine and in their career are very different than what it is on men. And so those become factors as well. So why is it important? I mean, why, why should we address, I mean, there's some obvious reasons as far as it relates to mental health, but how does physician burnout play into medicine in general and its importance? Well, I look at it as if we look at, at kind of the, the three different factors that go into play in the care we deliver, number one is the care provider, be it a nurse, a physician, nurse practitioner, therapist, pharmacist. Um, they have to be on their A game when they're taking care of somebody. Uh, but in this really impedes them from being able to do that. Mm-hmm. That ties in then to how it affects the whole care team. So we know that leadership in management of a team can absolutely reduce their risk of burnout mm-hmm. and increase their satisfaction. And actually, it's been quantified. We also know that burnout affects the quality of care to the level that we now know that we can measure burnout factor of a care team, and it correlates to mortality in the ICU. And so when we look at that, we now know this directly correlates patient care as well. And you know, one thing I can speak from experience is that when I'm happy or when I'm recharged, I find that I'm a much better physician than when I am stressed out or that. And not that I wouldn't feel that I would be not meeting the standard of care with patients, but I feel like when I am, you know, right off vacation, I'm willing to do the extra things for the patients that, you know, I might not normally be willing to do. But it's very interesting that they're now studying the impact that has on patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very impressive. But uh, so what are what are the signs? You alluded to some of them as it kind of relates to depression, but what are the signs that someone could recognize in themselves that they're getting burned out? So there's, there are really three hallmark signs. <clears throat> and I would say, look at these in your own self-assessment, but also look around you at your colleagues, mm-hmm. because this is where we also have to look out for our colleagues. Uh, the first one is emotional exhaustion. And so you mentioned getting back from vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes with burnout, even after vacation, they're still exhausted. Even after you've had a weekend off or you've had a good night's rest, you wake up, you're still exhausted. Um, one person made the comment to me, 
even my tired is tired. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's that kind of emotional exhaustion that you're just drained, even though physically you know you've rested. Mm-hmm. The second one is uh, they'll talk about depersonalization, and that shows up in sarcasm and cynicism. Now, you kind of have to know the person's baseline sarcasm. Sure. Um, but you can begin to tell when we objectify the people that we're taking care of. Uh, we talk about its and thems and uh, as opposed to, you know, who we're caring for. And then the third one that's the hallmark is uh, loss of efficacy. Uh, and this is really twofold. One is the obvious one we look at of, you know, can't get my charts done. Or the harder I work, the farther behind I get. That kind of a feeling. But the other part of loss of efficacy is losing meaning and purpose. And it's where you really suddenly say, why am I doing this? I would never want my kids to do this. And that's where you step back and say, you've lost your meaning and your purpose in what you do. It doesn't matter what your career is. That's where it really can make a big difference. Sure. So you, you mentioned you know, how we can recognize infill physicians. So let's say we do find it in ourselves or we see one of our colleagues that are burned out. What's the next step there? Well, that's a great question because traditionally as colleagues, the worst thing that can happen if you walk down the hall and say, how are you doing? And someone says, not well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we absolutely want them to say, great, and go on, and you forget about it. But you want to be able to take it a little deeper. And so I think the first step is either admit it or address it. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing more powerful than a colleague or a loved one going to somebody and saying, hey, Mark, you notice, I've noticed some things different with you lately. I'm concerned. What's happening? Mm-hmm. That'll go much farther than any committee, any board, anybody else mm-hmm. in helping you get on track. The second one is to get help and to get it smartly. And by smartly, here's where people won't get help is because they either, number one, are in denial, number two, they're embarrassed, or number three, they're afraid they'll lose their license. Mm-hmm. And they'll lose the license is real. But here are some places you can get help smartly. If you believe that this is addiction-related, the physician health program in your state, mm-hmm. uh, in particular, you know, Ohio's physician health program is an incredible resource. And many states, including Ohio, have what they call a one-bite rule, which means if you get treated in that program, you actually can protect and preserve your license. Mm-hmm. So that takes that barrier away. The second thing is, um, you know, if you uh, are an employee of, of the Mercy Medical Group or an employee of Mercy at all, you have access to Life Matters and to Be Well Within. And Life Matters is a program that provides you free counseling. It also provides you concierge service, which is to help out with some of the stresses of day-to-day life. Uh, Flat tire on the way here, you go ahead and go to the office and you just let them know, hey, here's what I need and they'll help get it fixed. Mm -hmm. Those kind of things to take that off your plate. That is available to you and everybody in your household. Mm-hmm. So if you have five kids and yourself and your spouse, you get six free sessions for every one of them. It's confidential. It's a third party outside Mercy. Uh, Mercy has no idea who's using it, um, and that's available to you. Um, another resource uh, that is very helpful is life coaching. And by the way, that's not something that's reportable. Life coaches do not treat mental disease. Mm-hmm. But what they can help you do is actually give you a safe environment to look at how you restructure your life to help with that burnout. How do you get order back in place so you can regain your resiliency and gain your autonomy? Um, And those life coaches and 
we can provide your audience a list of some coaches mm -hmm. that actually do this with physicians. They're aware of the, the needs of physicians, uh, but you have regular sessions with them and they can help you. They provide the accountability on the other side of that as well. And then two resources locally, um, and, and these are two partners with us that are part of our system committee, and that's Matt Owens uh, and Esther Strayan. And both of them are very passionate about this. And I'll tell you, I turn to them so often for insight and wisdom. I turn to them to know what's happening on the front line, and they do a fantastic job. And while they will help you get help if you need it. The second one is really look at your factors in burnout. And this is sometimes where you need somebody to help you do it. You know, we often turn and say, well, I'll just go to a seminar and do yoga or just do mindfulness mm -hmm. or just go to a Thrive session. Well, what we're finding is there are at least 13 different factors that go into burnout. And unless we take the time to understand which ones are key for you, mm -hmm. we cannot really tailor a plan for how you can help yourself get out of this. Um, and I think that's one of the frustrations. Often people say, well, that doesn't fit me. Well, it may not because it's not what are your key factors. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the final thing is really develop a plan and, and, and follow it. And following it is often having an accountability partner to help just make sure you're staying on track. Mm -hmm. It There is hope. And we have countless um, stories of people who've been through burnout who are willing to help others, people who've gone through that are willing to share their story. Um, but everyone that I've talked to, when they come out on the other side of this journey, they are different. Mm -hmm. and different in a better way. Well, I, I definitely want to come back to some of the things that you talked about, but I did want to kind of talk about that. You'd mentioned the stigma that, that comes with it. Where do you think that comes from? Is that just because I feel like it's almost built into our training that in your intern year, you're supposed to work 80 to 100 hours and be grateful that you, you have this position. So I, why can't we as physicians work to recognize this or work to – to identify it more in ourselves and others. So it's funny that you mentioned uh, when we get into med school, it seems like we lose that. Mm -hmm. There actually was a study where they where they measured the resiliency of medical students coming in, starting med school, and then each year. <laughs> and literally year two, they drop off and they plummet. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's such a profound finding that in the general population, the higher your level of education, the more protective it is against burnout, mm -hmm. except for an MD or a DO degree. And there it drops below the population. And so there's something that is happening, and you're, you're right on it, something that's happening in our training uh, that's a problem. And I think it's, it's really a couple of different things. Number one, um, if we look at the seeds of burnout, one is service. And so we're taught you, you can always do one more. You can always mm -hmm. see one more. You can take an extra night of call. The reality is we can't. Mm -hmm. We're human. We would never have a pilot do this on a plane. We would right. never have a truck driver do this, but yet we do. And that seed leads to really a sense of um, entitlement, that because I do that, I'm entitled to this, which is just a swirl you don't want to go down. Then we look at our cultural, or I'm sorry, our curative competence. You know, how good are we? Well, believe it or not, we pride ourselves in going through training and our white coat becomes lighter because we're carrying fewer manuals. But the reality is we fool ourselves because then we get this kind of false front that we say, I'm not really as good as everybody believes I am. 
And it's that mentality that, but we don't dare ask for help because then people will know that, golly, we don't know all the answers. Yep. So one of the healthy things to watch for in a colleague or watch for in yourself is when you have somebody that says, you know what, I, I don't know that answer. Or you have somebody that asks a question that they're learning, that's a very healthy thing. I worry about the people that believe they know it all. Sure. Because they don't. And then the other one that, that happens to us um, is that we really feel we're responsible for everything. Mm-hmm. So the buck stops here. You're the captain of the ship. That mentality, and the reality is it can't. Mm-hmm. We can't be everything to all people, nor can we be responsible for everything that happens. But when we take that on our shoulders, those are all seeds of, of burnout. Yeah. Well, I want to circle back to some of the men- or some of the things you had mentioned as far as resources, just a little bit more of the, the technical aspect of it, because I think that I think we – whether we admit it or not, a lot of us will recognize when we have the burnout. Um, but it's really about taking that first step to get help. So you talked about the coaches. So if someone is interested in doing that, what's the steps they have to take to get set up with them? Is it just calling the numbers? Is it, and is that paid for uh, too? Yeah, so a couple of things. And um, again, I'll give you the resource if you want to post it. Absolutely. Uh, I've worked with five different coaches at this point who either we have physicians who have used them personally or we personally know them Mm -hmm. and they actually do this work Mm -hmm. now they don't treat solely physicians one does but the other four do not but here's the thing so if you want to access them we provide you their website you can go to the website look at the kind of work they do Mm -hmm. and all of them actually will give you um, a 30-minute call first where you just talk about it and they decide and you decide is this the right person for me Mm -hmm. and that's at no cost Mm -hmm. then if you want to go further then you would actually enter into an agreement with them and they become your coach Um, it will cost anywhere from three to four hundred dollars a session and if you work within mercy if you're an employee of mercy health physicians or the group you actually can use up to 40% of your CME money for this. Okay. Um, the only thing we ask is, number one, that you use from the list of coaches because I, I have to make sure, sure there's credibility in who we're sure. putting out there. <laughs> the second is that you do at least four sessions mm-hmm. uh, with them. Um, and then the coaches themselves, they can't tell us anything about you or who you are, and we don't want that anyway. But what I do want from them and what they've agreed to give us is how many people they are seeing and how many sessions. And then if there are common threads that they're mm-hmm. learning about us that we can change at a system level mm-hmm. uh, that, that help us gain insight. They would never share any personal information or, right. or any details, but it helps us as an organization to learn. Can you say, and I'm not even sure if you'd have this number, how many physicians have you had go through these programs? So I don't know uh, because we just launched it in November. Okay. And so we, we are giving six months before we go back and measure it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I don't know the number. Um, we have had a – actually, we've had four come to us uh, who have used the coaches, mm-hmm. and actually one in particular brought it and said, this made all the difference for my wife and me. Mm-hmm. And it's a husband-wife uh, physician team. Um, and that's really how we got on to this. Okay, cool. Now, one thing I'll add to that uh, – Mark, so the reimbursement is if you're you can use CME money if you're mm-hmm. a um, Mercy physician, mm-hmm. but if you're not and you're affiliated physician or you're in the CIN, you still can use these coaches. Okay, you would just need to pay for it out of your practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wouldn't come out of 
right. the CMA allows right. there. But you are absolutely welcome to use that list. No, that's uh, and that's something that we'll try to attach uh, when I send this out. The other thing I wanted to circle back and talk to you about is the life matters. So that's something that I see when I uh, log on each time. I think it, the, the banner comes up for every time you're on the hub, but I don't know if I've ever actually explored it. Can you talk a little bit more about what that is? Life Matters is a program. Actually, we outsource it so that it's confidential. And, and this is a group that is experienced in this. And there are two levels of service available in, in Life Matters. The first one is what we call concierge. And it truly is to help you just handle the life nuances that happen every day. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a plumbing problem, you can call them and they'll help get somebody for you. You still have to pay the plumber, but they'll help coordinate that. If you're on vacation with your family and you have a crisis, you can call them and they'll help you with it. Mm-hmm. The second level are those uh, wellness uh, counseling services. And within that, there are a whole battery of online resources available that's available free. You just access mm-hmm. them. And then the counseling is where they actually have licensed counselors available through that. And you can call, get a counselor assigned to you, um, and then you can have up to six sessions free mm-hmm. uh, with that counselor. Very cool. And one of the things that we are working on right now is the possibility that some of those counselors could be covered in our health plan. Mm-hmm. Now, that that's a real stretch. And operationally, though, we're, we're working with wellness to do that. Because we've had a few times that, that folks need more than the six sessions, well, then they usually would turn them back and say, okay, we need to get you set up with somebody in your market. Sure. But we know that those aren't readily available. Mm-hmm. And so that would be a safety net in markets where they may not have uh, resources. Now, do they do like, and again, you may not have the answer to this question, but same with the uh, the coaches. Do they do more kind of like telemedicine type thing where it's not an actual physical visit? They both are, they both are uh, virtual. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Very cool. Well, we talked about the effects of burnout, and I know this is something that's very difficult to quantify. Is the, How effective is the treatment when we're discussing burnout? So when we look at the treatment for burnout, what we are learning is it's very successful if we can put a plan in place that people can follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is hope. There's nothing beyond hope with this. What we do know is it's not successful if, if someone believes, oh, I'll just get some time away and this will all be better, mm-hmm. or if they go back into the routine. And the, the real problem with this is it's the routine that you're into that's destructive, and that's what you usually have to break. Sure. So I, I sent you an article ahead of time, and I just kind of wanted to touch on it because I, I thought it brought up uh, a point that I wanted to discuss. And it was uh, it was actually an article about a study, but it uh, talked about the rates of burnout in this group of physicians in New York. Um, Basically, what they found is that physicians who practice in small independent practices have much lower rates of burnout than those who are in other types of practices. So one of the things that I, I take away, at least as the big point, is that autonomy seems to play a big role in burnout. So for someone who's in your position where you're trying to address burnout among employed physicians, where we, we do have to sacrifice some autonomy how do you reconcile that? That is a huge challenge. Um, and so I would offer a couple of things. And, and a parallel with this, as I read this article, I also thought about productivity mm-hmm. because that's a parallel one where what, what I hear is all oh, the RVUs are driving me crazy. That's what's the problem. 
the reality is if you go to these independent practices, they have a productivity as well. Yeah. I mean, they have to see so many patients in order to keep the doors open. And I've asked some of our physicians who've lived in that world of private practice and now they're employed, what's the difference? Because you had to work just as hard then. Mm-hmm. You, you had to put up with insurance companies then. Um, you had a productivity quotient then. Why is it now that it seems like it makes mm-hmm. a burnout? And here's what I've come away with in those conversations, and, and I think this article does a great job pointing out the difference is the autonomy is really a perception. Mm-hmm. And if I believe that I'm in charge of my destiny, I will put more into it and I will I will take more ownership for it. Um, on the other hand, when we become employed or we could join a medical group, and, and actually it's, it's interesting because these were small group practices. Yeah. People go through this same cycle when they go from a two or three person group to a 10 person group. Mm-hmm where you're giving up autonomy and there's all kind of frustration. And then they get through that because they realize what they gave up, they actually gained more. Mm-hmm. And if they don't realize that, then they're always going to feel like they come up on the short end of the stick. Right. So what I would offer in light of the article are a couple of things. One, step back and look at what's really uh, you know, cutting at your autonomy. Mm-hmm. Part of it is yeah, I don't have control over the scheduling systems, the EMR. I don't have control over, to some degree, my staff mm-hmm. uh, because somebody else manages those. But part of that is look at your staff and figure out what is it, if I'm struggling with that, can I work with my practice manager and we can fix mm-hmm. together? I mean, your practice is a great example of that mm-hmm. where you sit with your practice manager and you work through things. Yep. But you don't have the worry of, I've got to make payroll every two weeks, yep. or I've got to make sure I pay the rent. Mm-hmm. So that's what you've taken off your shoulders, but you've given up a bit of autonomy. Mm-hmm. The other element of autonomy, though, is outside of mercy, and it's what's happening around you trying to get your patients what they need. So you know, think of the authorizations, all of that yep. work that is just a burden. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you wouldn't spend your time getting a pre-authorization if you didn't believe the patient needed it. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you almost always get it, but it's a hassle. Yep. That would happen if you're in private practice or if mm-hmm. you were in a group. But that's another element of autonomy that's come about in the last few years that's gotten even worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a final piece, uh, and this is one that's near and dear, is the schedule. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, you know, when somebody else says, well, here's how we're going to design the slots. If it's not what I want, I've lost my autonomy. Mm -hmm. If I don't have control that I can take this afternoon and say, you know what, I'm going to go see my daughter's game, or you know what, I'm going to go with my buddies and we're going to leave early and go to the Reds game. Well, I feel like I've lost my autonomy. Mm -hmm. And I would say in that realm, uh, there's active work going on to actually try and give some of that autonomy back Mm -hmm. with the accountability. Yep. So at the end of the day, we've got to make sure patients are taken care of. At the end of the day, we've got to make sure, like in a private practice, we've seen enough patients to pay the overhead. Mm-hmm. However, how can we have flexibility in how we do that? Mm-hmm. And how can we take some of that off our plate? And how can we get even more efficient about it? Sure. Uh, and I think it's important in this article, they, did, uh, they didn't spend much time on it, but they did spend a sentence or two talking about that there's a trade-off to being in that independent practice. And that's, you know, a lot of these doctors are on call 24 seven, what mm-hmm. we were talking about earlier. And, um, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting to, to hear you describe it in that way, but 
So, you know, the other thing that I kind of wanted to touch on was preventing burnout, because I think, right, you know, what we've talked about is more on the treatment of burnout. But what I what I have a difficult time when I think about the current practice environment is how do you prevent people from being burnout? Because it just always seems like as a physician, I'm asked to be doing more, more prior authorizations, more through the EMR, more. So I feel like it more the current environment, not just in our organization, but any organization is just lending itself more to burnout. So how do we try to prevent that? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'll acknowledge that I'm not on the front line like you are mm-hmm. anymore. So these conversations are crucial for me to keep in touch with what's happening on the front line. There are a few things that we're learning. Number one is, uh, you know, as they say on an airplane, put your own mask on first. Mm-hmm. And there are times you've got to step back and take care of yourself mm-hmm. because you can't take care of others. And that's a hard thing for us to accept. But that's a piece of really understanding ourselves and what are the things that we've got to stay away from. What are our warning signs Mm -hmm. that we know that we're approaching that? Uh, For me, um, what I find is I lose my creativity and problem solving. Mm -hmm. So if suddenly I can't figure out a solution, I know I'm getting burnt out, I'm getting crisp. Mm -hmm. I've got to do something. The second piece is really look at what are the things that rejuvenate you? Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean rest, it usually means what are the things you do that have meaning and purpose that rejuvenate you? I would almost venture these podcasts are something for you mm-hmm. that helps to rejuvenate you, mm-hmm. that you're bringing purpose to others. For others, it may be volunteering. For others, it may be a variety of things. But if we don't understand those and identify them and recognize them as such, we tend to overlook them and let them slide off our plate. Mm-hmm. The third one is look for social interactions. We've lost them, mm-hmm. and we need them. And look for the opportunities to get together with peers, colleagues, spouses, significant others, um, because you have a camaraderie there and that relationship will help you when things are tougher, that you have a a common bridge, you have something to look forward to. And the fourth one I'll put is look out for each other Mm -hmm. uh, because there's nobody that understands what you're going through in a practice better than somebody who also is going through that in Mm -hmm. a practice. And how do we look at each other to try and get that load off? What many folks have done has been very helpful in making some of the systems better. So we have people that are helping with Thrive, you know, to make the EMR better, giving input. They've been on the informatics committees to make that better. Um, Matt and Esther are integral in helping us design some of the system changes that we can do on a system level. Um, I would say really provide input with some of the changes happening in the medical group. I mean, there are things happening uh, for example, simple things like scheduling that are change, but they actually are better and they give you back autonomy. Mm-hmm. And I would say rather than say, oh, I'm not in favor, it's not what I've always done, look at it from the standpoint of, okay, how can we make this so it completely transforms what we do? Mm-hmm. Because we actually have that opportunity. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting that you mentioned the EMR and how that's affected our peer-to-peer relationships, because uh, I know that's been a hot topic in Lima going back the past two years, where we've talked about how you know we're now communicating through notes, but we're not not talking to each other and working to try to improve that. Um, well, those were the big things that I wanted to cover. Was there anything else that you wanted to discuss uh, as it pertains to burnout or otherwise? Well. 
so now you've covered this very well. One thing I would keep your eye open is how is this affecting others on my healthcare team? Mm-hmm. You know, how are nurses and MAs affected? Um, their factors are going to be different, but they're going to experience burnout. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm working right now with Nathan Ash, who is from St. Rita's originally mm-hmm. and, and now is VP of pharmacy for the system. And we're looking at what are the factors that go into pharmacy burnout? Mm-hmm. What, what are they doing and what can we do to help them? Um, and so look, at, look around at the, her- the health care team and see what are we doing that, that we can help each other. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, again, I really appreciate you doing this. I thought this was a a really good podcast. So um, thank you. And to our audience, if you ever have any topics or anybody that you'd like us to speak to, please let us know. Thanks, Dr. Shum. Thank you.